All right, here we go. Mm-hmm. Everyone feeling it? <laughs> I am. <laughs> Train is on the tracks. It's 12 minutes after 7 o'clock. And you're tuned in to Daybreak on the Feast of St. Martha today, the 29th of July in the year of our Lord, 2013. I'm Bruce McGregor, joined in studio today by... Jen Brown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and our special guest, Father Michael Voidhofer, Associate Pastor, St. Robert Bellarmine Parish in Omaha. Hola. Pablo Cruz seems appropriate <laughs> here. Love will find a way, yeah. Father. See that? I look at my Hold hat. On, See my hat today? Knights right. of Columbus Insurance. Friends of yours? Right after Mass, Fans Doug Kelly yours? gave me this hat. Oh, he did? Okay. Praise so, God, huh? It's a fresh hat. Yeah, fresh. That's First what I'm wearing. wearing. Yeah. Support the Knights. They it do looks, great work. They do good. awesome work. Yeah. And protects your head. Yeah, if you're not a Knight of Columbus, then you might think about that, especially as a man. There's a lot of awesome, you know, great work they do for the church, you know, in so many ways. One of the things I really appreciate is their work for the pro-life movement, you know? Yeah. They do a lot with, you know, purchasing these ultrasound machines for these, uh, uh, you know, uh, pregnancy care facilities, usually placed near Planned Parenthood or some abortion mill. So it's a it's an awesome work. It's one of many, many things they do. Not um, just the pro-life, but then youth in general. Yeah. It, within the parish, they work so exactly. much with the youth groups in the parish and helping them achieve what they need to mm -hmm. um, with trips or yeah. uh, to continue those youth working yeah. and... and and Good works, yeah. and you know they gave me some uh, fresh uh, tomatoes and uh, corn yesterday after mass. Uh, <laughs> and they feed you. Praise uh, God! Uh, feed the priests. Cornucopia. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's an awesome, it's an awesome organization. So they have some he, of the most righteous fish fries on the planet. Oh yeah, too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Praise God. So we're going to dive in a little just i thought we could just talk a little bit about you know marriage as obviously with the recent supreme court uh, decision and and i think it's like you know some people might think well you can beat you know beat a dead horse or something but this is always something so important cuz i think this is very important because one marriage is so foundational and fundamental to our existence and to the perpetuation of, of our society and stabilization of our society. So it's, it's not just, it would be like, there's a difference between me knocking out a window or a ceiling towel. When I start bulldozing below and chipping at the foundation, then you have to look at it, another hierarchical level of concern, you know, regarding the current challenges, um, which the, the state and, and not a ton of people, but there are people in power with money that are pushing more and more to approve of. And if you will, um, under the, the guise often of marriage equality right. and, and under the name of freedom, um, basically trying to equate uh, you know, same-sex, so-called same-sex marriage with uh, a, as a civil rights issue such as racism. Right. So that's a very that's where they are entering in, and and many um, I find are falling more and more um, prey to that argument. And so I think it's very important that we just reflect a little bit. Obviously, we don't got a lot of time, but just to continue to reflect on this issue and, and its importance, and and some just maybe some points because again, 
we like Pope Francis said in World Youth Day, like we got to get out of our boxes and go out into this public square mm-hmm. and share the message. And one of the things I found in my uh, studies of marriage and family and sexuality and the scriptures in general, because the whole Bible is basically about marriage. Um, I've heard, you know, John Paul's theology of the body, right? Mm-hmm. Where the beginning of the Bible is about the marriage between Adam and Eve. The end of the Bible is about the marriage between Christ and his church. And right smack in the middle of the Bible, you've got Song of Songs, which is love poetry between a bridegroom and bride. And so the whole Bible is always the, the, the greatest and uh, most worthy analogy, I think, of the whole scriptural, uh, the lens you want to read the Bible through is that, 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 that relationship between God and his people Israel, obviously then maturing and, and, and becoming uh, God in the flesh, in Christ, the, the, the bridegroom, entering into this covenant, new covenant relationship with his bride, the church. And, and, and this is important because, again, a misunderstanding of marriage will then lead to a misunderstanding of, of the scriptures very clearly. And that's one of the key reasons, at least a theological argument, why there can be no movement for us of marriage between a man and a woman because um, a man embodies the giving and a, and a woman embodies the receiving. And there can't be communion without someone giving and someone receiving. And the, the, the body has an integral part to play in this holy communion that is supposed to come about between a man and a woman. And so, again, that is meant to reflect and portray to the world through marriage, that holy communion that happens between a man and a woman through marriage is meant to portray and, and, and be a sacrament, an outward sign to the world of the great mystery that is occurring in heaven at this very moment, which is the eternal bridegroom, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, entering into a holy communion with his bride, the church. And, and at every holy mass that we go to, you experience the heart of marriage, which is the love of Christ being poured out, given. That's why God became, that's why, that's why the Son of God um, embodied as a man. Mm-hmm. So as you're saying, holy communion of man and woman, is that the, the conduit? Is that the thing that you're trying to describe also that what the description you just gave there, the heart of man and woman, the holy communion? Can you describe holy communion of man and woman? Yeah, yeah. This holy communion, again, of man and woman is meant to reveal and portray and, and, and if you will, glorify the holy communion between Christ and his church. And and again, it it is every there's and I I don't know if it's Fulton Sheen or one of the recent authors I read or somewhere I was recently reading where I don't know, maybe it was the Pope John late John Paul II where he said you know there's really only one marriage it's Christ in the Church and every other marriage is ordered toward um, that marriage you know every marriage before Christ in the Church points to Christ in the Church whether you are pagan or a believer, or not, because the same word of God that made me made you and made every person that's existing. Mm -hmm. So that communion of that man and woman was meant from the very beginning of time and eternity to point to, or at least move in the direction of, of becoming an outward sign to the world of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And then every marriage after Christ in the church is pointing back to 
in a mystical fashion back to that one marriage ultimately between Christ and the church. So every married couple at some level is participating in the love of Christ and the church, is participating in the communion, key word is communion between who? God and humanity. Humanity and divinity kiss Mary in Christ in his church. And so every time we go to Mass, you're actually entering into the nuptial union of, of the God-man with, with his bride, the church. That's why what, what happens at a wedding, you see what the bride comes down the aisle and is received, right? That the bridegroom takes her and they go up onto the altar right, right at the beginning of the, usually at the, at the beginning of a, of a wedding, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing happens at every Mass, right? The bride comes down the aisle and, re, and receives Holy Communion. Same exact thing happens. You know, we come up the aisle as the bride does to receive Holy Communion. And who gives communion? Well, the priest, Jesus, is, is giving communion. And so, whether it be the minister, communion, or the priest, that's, the priest is, is Christ giving himself to his bride. And so that Holy Communion is very important. Again, this is just from a theological level of, of understanding why marriage has such a, a significance in our, our whole the, theology and philo- philosophical background. You, if, you, if you alter that meaning of marriage, you know, if God would have became a woman, <laughs> then we could maybe have some arguments. <laughs> but he didn't become a woman. He became a man. And he became a man because God is always giving and humanity is always receiving. Because God becoming man, again, is, is his way of, of revealing something about who he is. He's giving. God has to be the, the giver. And humanity must learn to receive from God. Because what happened in the fall? It was when humanity turned away from, and notice how Satan attacked Eve. Why attacking Eve? Eve embodies what? Receptivity. Mm-hmm. And so Satan went after Eve because he knew that if he can cut humanity off, which Eve represented, if he could cut humanity off from God, then he could, he could basically introduce the great tragedy today we call death. Right, drive that wedge. In. Yeah, drive that wedge. Not just death physically, but that spiritual death. Because if, if I'm in relationship with you and I'm facing you guys now and I'm talking to you, but if I turn away from you and, as someone comes into the door, well, I've, I've turned from a relationship with you to that person that just came into the door. And so Adam and Eve in the beginning turned from a relationship with God to Satan because they were listening to Satan's word more than God's word. And that first and primarily killed the life of God in their soul. And then that darkened their intellect and will and weakened them to then obviously make further choices of sin and begin to disregard, you know, they didn't have the the grace to order their passions according to truth and to love selflessly, but they were loving selfishly. And now that's why they covered themselves because Eve saw in Adam this this desire to to take Mm -hmm. rather than to give, the desire to use rather than to love. John Paul in Love and Responsibility, if you haven't read that book, it's great. it's not an easy read, but he goes through, he actually talks about the verb to use as a utilitarian approach, like utility. Today we're so, utilitarian is such a part of our culture where we, everything we do has to have some use. If I don't have a use for it, then it's, it's a waste of my time. But if you see love that way, you know, then you start to treat people like objects rather than people. Like Matthew Kelly says in his books, he says, we must learn to, 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 to love thing, to love people and use things. We got it backwards today, where we love things and use people. Mm. So we have to switch that, and that's grace. That only grace can do that interior transformation and conversion. 
So again, it's just important that we that we look at this relationship between man and woman as much bigger, much bigger than just uh, uh, two people that love each other. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more involved in the sign value between a man and a woman's communion than what meets the eye to the average maybe person of the day. The way we see a man and woman is very important because that, again, is revealing something about God's plan for us. It's not something that you can just view in a vacuum and and determine what you want it to be, how you want it to be. That's why it's, again, natural law, right? The intellect can see into the, the union of biology, right? We use biology, the science of biology, to unlock the secrets of human nature and creation. Or I can use my intellect to see that, you know, through the science of biology, sociology, psychology, physiology, that man and woman just simply put, fit together and work together and are made to complement one another. And this is one of the great tragedies is, you know, when we come back from the break, we can talk more about this. But the great tragedy is is the, the Supreme Court, in the name of freedom and equality, have taken this extraordinary authority over nature. They've overruled nature. At least they've moved in that direction to disregarding what the natural order clearly defines. And so, you know, how do we, the people, address this attempt to, to broaden the definition of marriage in such a way to exclude the very heart of the definition of marriage, which is ultimately sexual complementarity? Because again, without sexual complementarity, the whole uh, revelation that God wants to give through man and woman is basically disregarded and, and it can't be seen. And, and we'll talk more about that, how sexual complementarity is very significant um, and it does have significant weight and import in, in, in the definition of marriage um, that we, we need to uphold. All right, Father Michael Voidhofer with us, Associate Pastor St. Robert Bellman Parish in Omaha. Quick break, we'll be back. This is Daybreak. And it is Daybreak, Bruce McGregor along with... Jen Brown. And Father Michael Voidhofer with mm-hmm. us here in studio in defense of marriage today. Si, senor. Mm-hmm. So we were talking, you know, about sexual complementarity, but I think, again, this is very important, as we just talked about, how that has to do with uh, what God wants to reveal through a man and a woman. So sexual complementarity is an integral part of of the of the plan which God stamped right into the man and woman's body because with that sexual complementarity is is an obvious call to communion, right? Right. But that communion isn't just physical, although the physical is an integral part of that capacity, obviously. There has to be an ability for communion for there to be marriage, for there to be spousal love, right? That's a part of marriage. But that communion has to be a communion also of, of the inner hearts and souls of the persons, um, I mean, physical love is nothing really without the, the heart of the spiritual import behind it. That You know, it must be, I always say, I tell my couples when they're preparing for marriage, you, learn to, you need to learn to make love with your hearts before you can make love intimately, physically, as God wants you to. Because that's where it becomes holy then and sacred, a sacrament of, again, the communion of Christ, the bridegroom between his church, the bride. So that's kind of, you know, some of the theological reasoning there behind why man and woman um, are an important, very important ingredient for marriage. Because marriage is meant to serve the greater mystery it was designed to serve, which is what? The communion of Christ and his church. And, and there's another mystery it's created to serve, which is greater than 
all mysteries, which is the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a communion of three persons, just as a man and a woman's communion becomes, if it's, you know, as if it's open to life, becomes uh, possibly a third, there becomes a communion of, of persons in, in every marriage, which is the family, right? The mm -hmm. fundamental cell society. Man, woman, and children to come forth from that union. So unity, you say the unity, and that procreative dimension, the, the nature of marriage and marital love is, is that always has to have that unitive dimension where openness and, and a capacity for communion physically and spiritually. That's why we can't just say marriage is a, is a bond of love between two people. What are you, when you say capacity for communion, what are you, I don't know what you're... I mean, I mean uh, one, there has to be uh, uh, an ability physically to enter into communion. There has to be a complementarity between the, the body, male and female. So that communion, this, the, the capacity for communion presumes an understanding of the human person. The human person is body and soul. You can't say, well, our souls commune, but our bodies don't, and that doesn't matter. Because if you're talking about the human person, you can't divorce the body from the soul and say, I, I love this person with my heart, although our bodies don't match. So you have a... You have a you have a divorce between psychology and biology. But biology is my body is meant as a man to match with a woman's body. But my psychology say if I if I struggle with a same sex orientation, let's say that let's say that someone struggles with the same sex orientation, but they're they're a man. Well their their psychology is I'm attracted to a man, but their biology is designed for a woman. So there's a there's a there's a disconnect between the psychology and the biology, and the church can't normalize something that's not normal. Now, now that doesn't mean that we're against or that we say, "Oh, you're no good, or you're bad, or you're messed up." Right. We're all messed up. <laughs> all of us, yeah. all of us are sinful. All of us have disorders. And the church and the catechism, read what it says about homosexual orientation. It's very beautiful and compassionate. It says we, we can't disregard this obvious, very deeply inherent struggle that many people have. Mm -hmm. But we, regardless of our struggles, are called to holiness of life and chastity, meaning I order my passions and desires as, as God designed. Some of my people say, well, what is God's plan for me? You know, And I say, well, God's plan is often stamped into the natural order. You know, for example, God's plan isn't for me to jump off the roof because gravity says you can't do that. Well, I pay attention to gravity, then I'm paying attention to God. So I respect gravity, I respect God. So same with the natural order regarding our biology and sexuality. Man and woman match physiologically, spiritually, they match psychologically, they match um, biologically. And there's always, you know... There can always be the, the wrench thrown into the thing. Well, what about the infertile couple or the couple that can't have children? The, the point is, is principally, they're still capable of physical communion, although something um, isn't working properly or something for some reason doesn't allow them to have children. They still principally can have communion. And if that potential issue was fixed, they could still, you know... Uh, um, enter into that relationship and have and have children, but two men or two women can never, in principle, ever commune as persons. Meaning, their hearts can be great friends, but there's no capacity for physical communion. And that's one of the things the church, you know, and and, and obviously nature has in God's nature, um, um, 
has stamped into our, our humanity mm-hmm. as an integral part. So that, again, this all goes back to sexual complementarity. That's why I think if we're going to talk to people about this issue, we have to help people to endure their reasoning. A lot of times, if you look at this, you know, I read a recent article in the, in the, in the paper on this, and it was all about we felt finally equal to everyone else. Tears were flowing down the face. We're joyful that today we are equal to everyone else. Um, I, I feel like I'm, I'm finally accepted and loved. You know, a lot of it's, okay, that's, you know, it's good you're loved. It's good you feel accepted. But, but we, gotta, we can't dismiss nature to approve of something that it isn't clearly natural. Because mm-hmm. when you, you know, St. Ignatius or Irenaeus says, you know, those who fight against nature eventually go insane. You can't fight against nature. Like the, the, for the highest court in the country to basically disregard nature and, and many of the sciences, psychology, biology, physiology, to, to disregard that is, is, to, is to say that it's, it's, it's like me saying nature has no right to limit marriage between one man and one woman. That's kind of what, I'm, that's kind of what we're moving toward is we're telling nature you have no right to limit marriage between one man and one woman. And in fact, um, the courts decide that nature's wrong. And that's where I think it gets a little bit scary is when we can't see nature and its role that it plays in the perpetuation and stabilization of society. And you could even, if you will, if, if you're talking to someone that's not even a believer, you can just, again, help them and help them think, help them endure their reason. Because, you know, nature, for, for, the, for the court in the country and for people to think that or decide that nature's wrong, that it's discriminatory toward same-sex couples, or that nature's argument, those who agree with nature are, are, are becoming haters or discriminatory or bigots, that doesn't endure reason. You've got to appeal to reason. Because again, the, the emotive dimension is always going to appeal to the general public. Most people that vote for our civil leaders vote because they like someone's personality, not because of what they stand for. And I see this again and again, and not just whether it be local or federal elections, it's often, um, we, we, we always are appealing to our lower faculties. We got to call people higher. We have an intellect and a will. And, and, and I have to, regardless, you know, like the scripture says um, in Isaiah 53, um, you know, how Jesus wasn't necessarily someone that was attractively, you know, like, I can't remember the exact words it says, but if you read through Isaiah 53, it says, you know, he wasn't, becoming of you know he was torn and he was ripped and he was it was ugly calvary was not pretty mm-hmm. you know his life wasn't always he wasn't the most attractive or exciting guy always you know he 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 didn't um stand for lie and error and so we in love and compassion must inject reason and, and help people think through these issues and i think one of the basic ways to do that is again talk about the importance of sexual complementarity um, in, in, in a relationship. Um, and, and nature is, is fair, and it has a plan. God has a plan that he's stamped into nature. Um, people might love each other, but unless they have a capacity physically to enter into communion, um, they, there can't be marriage. Um, because, again, bottom line is, is the natural law reveals that 
this complementarity of the sexes is a call to communion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is something that's clearly meant to be, obviously. Uh, and, and we don't need to finagle or have verbal gymnastics to try to gain permissions outside of that. I mean, it's, it's clear and simple. Again, appealing to reason, appealing to the obvious, that nature and nature's God has clearly ordered um, a man and a woman toward the procreation perpetuation and stabilization of our society so again it's just it's just called a communion stamped in the woman's body and the man's body um from which the sacred institution of marriage was born like god established marriage out of the nature of the human person so you know marriage between a man and woman marriage is meant to serve a man and a woman's relationship and to help them to become, or if you will, realize their fullest potential. First is husband and wife. To be husband and wife, again, you have to have spousal capacity. And that means your bodies have to complement. That means you have to have an openness to, to life. And you have to have this ability to then, at least in principle, become a father and a mother. So there can't be a possibility of procreation if the bodies don't complement one another. So, again... Father, as we're talking about foundation, how do we strengthen that man and woman foundation, that call to communion? How do we strengthen that particular man and woman foundation that you're talking about? Maybe some couples that are listening right now that want to strengthen that particular foundation. Well, I would say, you know, again, I think that's the greatest way that we witness to marriage is to live our marriages out. And and I think that's one of the areas, obviously, if serious concern with it, the 50% plus divorce rate is that's another reason why society just throws aside marriage is because they're not seeing what marriage is in its full splendor and beauty as God designed it, because we've fallen short. So the onus isn't so much going out telling everyone else. It's more looking at our own hearts and lives and say, what does it mean? And, I, and this is the question I would pose to what you just asked is, go to God every day and ask the question to him, Lord, teach me what it means to be a man, if you're a man. And then ask the Lord, teach me what it means to be a woman, if you're a woman. And study your body. Look at your body. Pray with your body. Ask the Lord, you know, why did you make me a man? Why did you make me this way? How do I, how, how can I serve as a man? That's what the Pope's whole call was. Well, do you think, right? Service. Go out and serve. Well, I can't serve without my body. So I, as a man, I'm going to serve. At least I, as a man, serve in ways that, that are different than the ways women serve, at least that are intrinsic to my, my, my physical being in my physiologically psychologically i'm wired as a man to serve as a man women are wired as women to serve as women we both bring a genius to the table that complements one another and to have this egalitarian approach where uh, everything has to be the same everything has to be equal where we totally neglect the beauty of distinction between man and woman that's what that's what this this movement ultimately is is it's sex doesn't matter whether you're male or female what matters is i love you that falls really short of appreciating the the beauty and splendor of what it means to be in male. so i would say number one go to prayer and ask the lord like if you think you know what it means to be a man then you're lying to yourself because all of us can grow in what it means to be a man and as a woman you need to ask the same question to god what does it mean to be a woman that's that's serious deep important questions that we need to all ask the Lord daily. So that would be the prayer dimension. And then obviously the, the, the next dimension would be um, putting into practice what the Lord reveals to you about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, 
And that means ultimately what's serving the great mystery, which is what God's union with humanity. How do you as a man bring Christ to God's people and how do you as a woman bring Christ to God's people? How did Mary bring God to the people? By receiving him. So what are women called to do? To receive Christ. Where's Christ? Primarily, every man to every woman should be Christ. And every woman to every man should be church. And so how did Christ love the church? He laid his life down for her. So you see how when, when men go out in service and lay their lives down, basically live the Eucharist, then women respond. And, but women call Christ out of themselves, out of the man, by the way they approach men, by the way they call men to that godly character and virtue. So you see, we need each other in this. And you see how this, ultimately Satan behind all of this wants to destroy the beauty of sexual complementarity and distinction because if he can destroy that, then he destroys the very sign God intended to reveal himself at this time and day and age to the world. Because, uh, you know, as marriage goes, so goes the world and the family. Um, and and if, the Lord, if, if the enemy can distort marriage and sexuality, then he, he basically has, has blinded us from seeing how God intended us to experience love as he designed it to be experienced. And again, that's why the destruction of marriage in the family has everything to do with Satan's attack. Satan doesn't care about us. He cares about us knowing God. Because he wants to basically say, ha ha, God, look, I won them all. I darkened them all. And now I got them and I've divided them from you. From the beginning, you wanted to divide humanity from. Because he's, he's jealous that we can have intimacy with God and he can't. Mm -hmm. So we have to, again, see this for what it is. It's a battle against Satan. It's a battle against principalities and powers. This is a spiritual war we're in. So again, when you bring reason, introduce and induce reason into the, to the, to the discussion and dialogue, as the Pope again encouraged, go and dialogue. You know, there's nothing wrong with dialoguing with people and bringing up these rational arguments in love for what we have, what we have about why we're man and why we're woman. As married couples, then we want to focus on participating, the participation between church and Christ. Yes. Mm -hmm. So as married couples, exactly. that would be a big focus. Exactly. And, ask, and what does that mean? It means as a man, you're called to be Christ to every woman. And as a woman, you're called to bring Christ out of every man and receive Christ. Men need to learn how to receive Christ. Women teach us that. And, and women need to learn how to receive Christ. And men can teach women that if they choose to embrace that godly character and, and virtue, this life of self-control, self-mastery. Again, the whole next topic could be how contraception has basically emasculated men and women and kept them from becoming virtuous and self-mastery over their passions and created a culture of hedonism and indulgence, which has led to feminism, where women rightly stand up against such um, disrespectful treatment that yeah. involves pornography, etc. And men need to basically man up and, 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 and be Christ, yeah. bottom line. A lot of tentacles there. I mean, it's, sure. it's, a, it's, a, it's so, and, and demographically, I mean, I just heard the papal, the papal theologian on my Facebook page, I posted it up, but papal theologian just spoke about this, of how the, the, the economic crisis and the demographic, demographics that we're dealing with which is a lot of elderly and more less and less you know europe is is <laughs> why aren't we having children because again we're thinking about ourselves we've we've entered into children are obstacles to my life they're getting in the way that's what contraception has fostered this sense of 
you know, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But we'll talk about that maybe the next time. But it, it's so important that we see this battle for what it is and that we as men and women beg the Lord to reveal to us what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? That is ultimately when I'm a man and when she's a woman, we are revealing Christ in the church to the world. And we are a little glimpse of heaven on earth. And we will appeal to the deepest desires of human hearts if we just live as human beings. Saints are the most human of humans. Christ was God and man. But he was, as John Paul II said, Jesus is the human face of God and the divine face of man. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. The human face of God and the divine face of man. So let us pray for that grace. So Lord, we ask your spirit and blessing upon us that we as men and women may, may reveal to the world your splendor, your beauty, by embracing and being obedient to the design that you've given us and by serving through our bodies the great mystery of Christ's love for his church. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very Thank much, you, Father. Father. You're welcome. Appreciate it.